We're back. Happy Tuesday and welcome back from the long Labor Day weekend. R.C. Blakes Jr. is our guest in this hour. He's an internationally sought after teacher and speaker on racial reconciliation. He serves as Bishop of the Family of Churches Fellowship International. They have churches across the United States and in Africa. He's also author of the book, The Father-Daughter Talk. It can be found on Amazon.com. More than a pleasure to have R.C. Blakes Jr. with us. R.C., good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me on. I'm honored. Uh, honored to have you with us, R.C. I won't call you pastor. I'll be good. <laughs> um, uh, R.C., why is it so hard to have a conversation, which over and over the president has said, people in all different areas of the spectrum of color in this country have said needs to be had, and that is on the issue of race and the need for racial reconciliation. Why is that such a difficult conversation in the United States today still in 2015, R.C.? Well, honestly, um, I think that the conversation is being had on the streets of America every day. I have it with uh, white people, Hispanic, Asian, but I think uh, partisan politics and I think Uh, definite agendas relative to media outlets prohibits us from hearing it on a larger scale. And finding a medium to uh, actually broadcast a balanced message that seeks to reconcile and bring parties together as opposed to stirring up rhetoric, uh, that's the difficult part for us. When we look at what's happening today, Is it that because of the Fergusons, because of the Eric Garners, because of police that have been shot in parked cars in in New York or the the latest fatality of a police officer and, uh, you know, because of Trayvon Martin, this is a problem that's been existing. Is, Is it because of these deaths, because of these murders, because of this violence that maybe America's not only paying attention but starting to care and not just within the African-American community about this situation, about these issues. It's unfortunate that we have to go to such extremes before we do pay attention. Um, I was, I was uh, on a panel the other night with uh, Megyn Kelly, and the, the one point I got a chance to make uh, with such a crowded field was that in America we have, uh, we have not exercised the wisdom or the intelligence of listening to one another. And my, my position is that this is our country, all of our country. This is one ship that we're all floating on. And if it goes down, we all go down. So it is, it is in the best interest of everyone to listen to everyone. We don't have to agree. We don't have to always land on the same side. But we must respect and we must hear when, when there's an absence of respectful hearing and listening I think it then leads us to a place of extreme extremism like we're seeing now. And, uh, yes, the violence against police officers uh, is definitely awakening the attention of the entire country. And contrary to what most might believe, uh, black people in America are as outraged about the, the, the murder of innocent uh, law-abiding or law officers that rather are serving and protecting, they are as outraged about that as they are about the murder 
are so-called murders of black people on the streets of America. Because we have to understand that though we are black, though we may be white, Hispanic, or Asian, we're human first. Absolutely. R.C., hold that thought. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. We're going to talk about the war on police. And we're going to talk about some groups and some phrases and movements. I think I agree with R.C. being largely misunderstood. Back with Pastor R.C. Blakes Jr. right after this. with R.C. Blakes Jr., internationally sought-after teacher and speaker on racial reconciliation, Bishop of the Family of Churches Fellowship International, and author of the Father-Daughter Talk. Thank you for holding, R.C. Welcome back. You know, um, R.C., I think you know because we we we, uh, have some people we know in common in the publicity world uh, that I am a liberal Democrat on Fox News Channel. And one of the things I constantly have to talk about, I bet I'll be talking about it tomorrow, is Black Lives Matter. Not just the phrase, the movement, the people, and of course, there are people who take things too far. Do you think that conservatives largely, R.C., don't understand Black Lives Matter, don't understand beyond the phrase and anything negative that happens that people you know, take that phrase and do something perhaps violent with, as opposed to the real movement, the people who started it, and what they're trying to do uh, with politicians uh, in a very peaceful, nonviolent manner. I, I do feel, uh, as a black man, when I when I watch uh, the, the television, when I watch the news, that uh, conservatives quite often, of course not all, uh, but many at least, uh, do not really get it. And I think you have to either be black in America or be a person that is non-black and put yourself in a black person's shoes. Uh, to begin to get it. And this is something that is fundamental to reconciliation. It is having the capacity to be able to step outside of one's own experience and self-interest and to put oneself into the shoes or place of another, to be able to feel uh, what he or she feels. And I think conservatives many times uh, do not exercise um, that measure of discipline in terms of racial relations. We, we, they see the world through their own experience and they fail to step into the shoes of those of us who live something different. Uh, why, you know, I, I, I don't understand why it has to be when, when somebody says Black Lives Matter and then a police officer is killed and then even that murderer is allegedly tied to not the, the Black Lives Matter who are protesting politicians, uh, but to feeling that, you know, some anger through Black Lives Matter. To, to me, and tell me if you agree with me, R.C., if somebody has such hatred in their heart, regardless of their skin color or who their target is, and, and they have hatred to the point of murder in their heart, they're going to find somebody to kill and something or someone to blame or jump on the bandwagon of. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, we see it, we see it every day. I mean, even uh, in, 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 in uh, looking at... Um, you know, the news, and we, we see the couple, I think they were in Las Vegas, and uh, they killed uh, innocent cops, and uh, they were white, and I think the cops were white as well, 
and they laid the Tea Party's flag over the bodies. So if a person has that temperament, uh, they are going to exercise it in some way on someone, uh, regardless. When we look at um, the Black Lives Matter and then the violence against police officers, do you think that, in, in a sense, both have the same goal and nobody's realizing that on either side? Uh, again, I believe that we, we have not listened, and I think we do have the same goal on both sides. Uh, I think that there is a, uh, a minority element in every community that tends to get the majority of coverage relative to media, and they paint the, entire, in the entirety of that community with the same brush. I think black people in America, for the most part, want to be law-abiding citizens, and they want a police force that will protect and serve them. I believe the majority of police officers are great men and women that uh, sacrifice more than we even realize. And I think that there are pockets within every community that misrepresent every community. And I think it becomes the responsibility then of each community, the police force, the black community, the white community, to make certain that uh, we weed out those pockets that are misrepresenting us. I, I want to talk about uh, misrepresentation, uh, but I also want to talk about something else. R.C., you are an African-American male. I am a white woman. And that's very different, yeah. not just in gender, but also in color and in perception and experience. Um, I've never been stopped for my color. I've been stopped for my gender, but for very wow. different reasons, not because I'm walking on a street and somebody wants to know why I'm in that neighborhood. But I'm aware of these things. I certainly yeah. don't know what it's like from your perspective. So I want to ask you. There are a lot of people who constantly say, look, there's certainly, look, we can't dispute the facts. There is racial profiling. African-Americans are pulled over, uh, you know, more than any other uh, minority group in this country, any other group in this country by police. They're arrested at a, a higher rate, uh, and, and, and this is a disproportionate rate um, when you look at the number of people in this country that are African-Americans and how much of the... Uh, population they comprise uh, in the United States. But is, when, when somebody says that is awful, R.C., but there is also an awful reality that, yes, black lives matter, but why doesn't the black community cry out or scream out, I ask you, about black-on-black -black crime within the African-American community? Oh, and I'm so glad that you did ask me that. Uh, because I believe that this is something that the Black Lives Matter movement can really take on as an agenda uh, to begin to speak to our own community. I believe that black people uh, in America, we have the responsibility to really hold ourselves accountable uh, for the, the murder that happens every night at the hands of other black people. Uh, I believe this is the consequence of having leaders like myself on the local level, pastors, uh, teachers, businessmen, coaches, uh, who do not take the responsibility to, to educate and to bring a sense, a basic sense of community to our own people. This is, for me, a bigger problem than even police violence. Really? It is the murder of black people at the hands of black people. And the reality is that 
Washington, D.C. cannot handle that. City government cannot handle that. That has to be handled internally. And as a black man, this, this is one of the things that I hold my own community responsible for. This is something we must find an answer for within ourselves. Nobody from the outside can come in and rectify this problem. So you, you, would you agree then with conservative, who is an also African-American, Ben Carson, running for president, who, who feels that that comes from the parents, that you have to be taught this, you have to be, uh, you know, that fatherlessness is a problem, and, and that uh, the, the way, you know, you treat another human being or the way you react to this treatment within the African-American community, uh, that you, you agree with him that, that that can't be solved with legislation. No, I don't think it can be solved with legislation totally. But the reality is that uh, numbers show that socioeconomics definitely play into uh, the number or the, the measure, or should I say the, 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 the degree to which murders happen in any community. And the black community is definitely uh, disadvantaged uh, economically in this country. So legislation can definitely play a role in that respect. But at the end of the day, we have to also that this is the fruit that leads from a root. When you think about, I think, uh, black America's, what, 15, 16 percent of the total population, I think 60 percent, if my numbers are a little off somewhere in the neighborhood, 60% of the prison population. When you have those kinds of numbers of black men incarcerated, then 70%, I think, plus recidivism, where he's going constantly going back to jail. And you take the father figures out of the community, it means the children are growing up in, a, in an imbalanced environment. This breeds anger. This anger obviously is taken out on the persons closest around. So we have a lot of work to do. Part of it is legislation. Uh, part of it is, is the, the criminal justice system. There needs to be some reform. And then much of it goes back to, again, people like myself who have to serve as mentors and surrogate fathers for black children who have none and teach them a sense of value for life. This has to come back on the shoulders of people like myself, local leaders who see the problem and roll their sleeves up and get involved in our own community to help save some of our children, save some of a generation, and then hopefully that part will save some of the next generation and we can climb out of this hole. And when we look at the Black Lives Matter movement, do you think this is something that should be incorporated into that, or do you think this needs to be separate and the lack of trust and the violence by police uh, toward the African-American community, and then violence toward police by people in and outside the African-American community need to be addressed by the Black Lives Matter movement separate from this? Or, or can they be grouped together, you know, under an issue that affects black lives? I'm not certain as of yet um, to what degree I personally would be comfortable working uh, alongside, uh, officially alongside the Black Lives Matter movement. Of course, I, I have to subscribe to the, the purest sense of the movement, which is to draw attention to uh, the disproportionate uh, incidents of police brutality and, and ill treatment of uh, black people in America. But beyond that, I'm not certain. I'm trying to see this particular movement define itself. I want to see some clearer definition before I would tie myself to it, uh, because if this is going to work, 
it means that me, even as a black leader, I'm going to have to have the cooperation of people who are other than black to accomplish the objectives and agendas that I will set forth in my own community. So if the Black Lives Matter movement uh, moves to a place where it isolates people from people, it then becomes, I, I think, would, it would become more of a hindrance than it would have helped in uh, obtaining the objectives that you and I just talked about in the black community. But uh, one of the things, R.C., and we may agree on this or may disagree, at least when it comes to, uh, you know, police brutality, um, you know, and, and the racial profiling and just the stats and changing that, I, I found it um, welcoming to see the Black Lives Matter movement show up at rallies where people are running for president because politicians make legislation and sometimes legislation, you know, can uh, you know, a fact. Obviously, if you just look at the breakdown of the types of crimes, or if you, if you, you know, if you look at the ability of the federal government to do investigations, like we saw in Ferguson, and 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 to find out, wow, I mean, look how many people are being stopped that are black versus somebody of a, of another color. Uh, I think you and I agree on that. I guess my reservation is more that uh, I have not had an opportunity to to see where this movement is actually going to go. I believe that a lot of the incidents lately are, are, you know, maybe people misrepresenting the movement. So I'm waiting on the movement to clearly and purely define itself uh, before I would personally attach myself to it. But as I, as I, as I look at the movement from, from the outside in, as a black man, as a black leader, as a middle-aged man, uh, I have to tell you, I am really impressed because because of this. This generation has has organized an intelligent approach uh, to reaching into a system that they have uh, been ignored by for a generation, and they've organized an intelligent approach. And now I'm just waiting to see where is it really going, how much of this is misrepresentation. And when that movement really defines itself, and if it defines itself around the purest form of its uh, intent, I think that is going to be something that's really going to impact black America in a way that uh, we've not seen probably since the 60s. Um, let's take a, a caller before um, we go to break. Let's go to Bill in Massachusetts online, too. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Question or comment for RC? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh wait, hi, uh, just a brief comment. Yes. First, first comment. The first statement is: I'm just so impressed you're having this conversation. I think it's a complicated conversation. It's nuance laden, so it's important to talk about it long enough for people to think things through. And I just had two quick comments. One, when we talk about missing fathers, we're also talking about a culture in which women and big brothers and uncles really play an active and and critical role in mentoring young African-American males. So it's not just either or. Uh, and I just wanted to say that because I just feel like uh, defining the problem as missing fathers sort of overlooks the part where people carry on and do wonderful things for their children despite that. So thank you, Les. All right. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for saying that. Um, R.C., there are people that have things to say uh, on Twitter and one of those who tweeted in listening to us uh, is Justin. And he said, hands up, don't shoot was a lie by progressives, and that created this. Did that create this? Or did oh, that no. simply bring our attention to a problem that's existed for decades? Well, 
uh, you know, and, and again, it goes back again to looking at these matters from a, uh, a self-interest perspective. But hands up, don't shoot. If it were, if it was a farce or not, uh, is not what created this. I'm a black man uh, from New Orleans, and a decade ago, uh, when Hurricane Katrina uh, washed the city of New Orleans away, I had to watch thousands of mostly black people sit in a city uh, two to three days before the federal government showed up. I, I come from, I was born in the 60s, so I've, I've lived through this my entire life. Right. The question has been asked, does black lives really matter in this country? That was not the beginning of it. This question has been on the table. This generation has just brought it to the forefront. We thank you for being with us, R.C. I'm sure I'll talk to you again. Thank you for your time. R.C. Blanks, Ju- Blakes, Jr., an internationally sought-after teacher and speaker on racial reconciliation. Go to Amazon. Check out his book, The Father-Daughter Talk. And uh, I just followed them on Twitter during the break there. You can follow him at R.C. underscore Blakes. The website is rcblakes.com. And again, that book is entitled The Father-Daughter Talk. He is bishop of the Family of Churches Fellowship International. He's about building bridges. And I think that's what we really want accomplished with these conversations. Those are all of our goals, aren't they? We'll be back right after this talk radio news service live from our nation's capital. Don't go away. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. 